Welcome to the Flat Rock Sports Podcast, your daily source for all things college football. I'm your host, Christian Hunt, and on today's show, we're going to break down Arch Manning's decision to commit to Texas, and we'll have more on that here in just a second. All right, so like we were talking about, Arch Manning decides to commit to Texas over the likes of Georgia and Alabama. Now, interestingly enough, when you break down both Georgia and Bama in the recruiting race for Manning, Bama's already good. They, they already have a four-star quarterback in the likes of Eli Holston, who's out of Zachary, Louisiana. So they already have a quarterback recruit for the 23 recruiting cycle. Georgia, interestingly enough, has two five-star quarterbacks on their roster in Brock Vandergriff and Gunnar Stockton. So they're going to be good too uh, going forward. So that's going to be great for Manning. He's a five-star quarterback and is the number one player in the 23 recruiting cycle. By the way, a quick side note on that. Uh, there's only been three perfect 1,000 quarterback recruits Okay, in the 24-7 sports composite era okay since 2000 and texas has signed all three of them all right that's vince young quinn ewers and arch manning interestingly enough two of them will probably play together in ewers and manning uh, a little more backstory on arch manning obviously for those who don't know peyton is one of his uncles peyton manning who played at tennessee and then eli and archie manning is his uncle and granddad respectfully. They both went to Old Miss along with Dad Cooper, who unfortunately wasn't able to play uh, after getting to Old Miss as he had a rare condition that they discovered and retired him for football. He's looking to become the first Manning to win a national championship uh, in the family in, at the college level. I think that'd be interesting, you know. His uncles, I think they had four Super Bowls between them. You know, unfortunately for, for Archie Manning, you know, he never really was able to be on a good enough team to suit him while he was in the NFL. Uh, I think it's worth noting that Arch Manning could become the first college player to make north of $10 million <laughs> with the NIL, right? You know there's going to be a lot of different boosters and a lot of different people in the state of Texas that are going to look to try, you know, not just Texas, it's, it's, a, national, it's a national thing too. They're going to try to get a piece of the Arch Manning sweepstakes out there right? Arch Manning, you know, to me, he kind of reminds me of Trevor Lawrence, right? It kind of has that Trevor Lawrence vibe to it. Um, you know, Lawrence came out, he had the long hair, he came out of Cartersville, Georgia, um, and committed to Clemson, right? And it's kind of what this feels like to me. Now, we'll kind of break that down here in just a bit, what exactly that means for some of the other uh, Texas quarterbacks. Uh, you know, right now, Texas is in a pretty good situation as far as their quarterbacks are concerned. There's Quinn Ewers and Hudson Card who are going to be competing for the starting job this year. Now, interestingly enough, Card ended up winning the job last year in a quarterback battle against Casey Thompson. Card had 590 yards last year with five touchdowns. Um, he was replaced in week two against Arkansas. Uh, interestingly enough, he struggled and then just never could reclaim the job after that and played very sparingly, right? 
Ewers, uh, he did not play last year. He was actually a five-star quarterback uh, in the 2022 class, but he reclassified to the 2021 class and ended up being the number one player uh, in that class, committing to Ohio State, where he would go on uh, to pretty much ride behind C.J. Stroud for the year. And then at the end of that, he decided to transfer back to his home state of Texas. Now, Ewers currently is favored to lay, uh, to land the job, but compared to but I'm going to compare him to Kelly Bryant is the big thing, right? We're going to go back to the Trevor Lawrence feel, right? And I'll kind of explain what I mean with that, right? Ewers is either going to win the job this year and look really good and then come out and have a phenomenal year next year in 23, keeping Arch Manning on the bench for his first year or okay? Or he struggles and loses his job before Arch ever steps foot on campus, okay? Now, if you're Texas, they have big expectations, the same way Clemson did, you know, in, in years prior when they had Taj Boyd, Deshaun Watson, just to name a few, and then you get Kelly Bryant sort of taking that role, taking the mantle, leading him to the playoffs, not really doing much in that playoff. And, and losing, I believe they played Alabama in the opening round back then, um, and they ended up losing, if I'm not mistaken. Now, if Ewer struggles this year, like I said, he could look to transfer before Arch gets on on campus, and that would possibly pave a way where you see Arch Manning playing significant snaps in 2023. Now, there's another name to kind of note here, and that is Malik Murphy. Okay, Malik Murphy. Uh, was a five-star quarterback from California in the 2022 recruiting cycle. He was the number two overall pro-style quarterback, according to 24-7 Sports. Now, he was also considering offers from Michigan, Ohio State, Oregon, and UCLA before ultimately committing to Texas. Now, that's worth noting because, well, <laughs> with all this talent coming in at quarterback for the Longhorns, it's hard to see you know, someone as talented as Malik Murphy staying with the program. I have a feeling he's going to redshirt this year. He's going to get bigger, stronger, uh, and faster. And then he could look to transfer at the uh, you know, end of this year. Now, where he's going to go, I don't know, right? You know, there's Oregon, uh, UCLA. Uh, you know, there's a lot of things. UCLA is going to be moving over to the Big Ten. Oregon is going to be... Uh, possibly making that move too. We don't know yet, but it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out with Malik Murphy and the Longhorns. Okay, moving on, we've got the Arch Manning effect as far as Texas recruiting is concerned, right? Starting this year off, you know, prior, or sorry, I should say prior to Arch Manning committing to Texas, the Longhorns uh, were outside of the top 10 in recruiting for this cycle, in the 23 uh, recruiting cycle. Since Manning has uh, committed to Texas, they've moved into the top five less than a week after. Okay, they've signed some big time players, okay? Probably one of the, uh, the better players that they've ended up signing out of this is five-star wide receiver Jonte Cook II. Okay, he's the number six overall wide receiver, and he is the number 36 player uh, in the country. To go alongside him, you've also got five-star safety Derek Williams. He's the number three player, number 38 player overall for their defense. You've got four-star uh, interior lineman 
Jaden Chapman, who was the number nine offensive lineman last year, a number uh, 191 player in the country. You have four-star wide receiver Jonah Wilson, who is uh, the number 34 wide receiver and the number 278 player out there. So again, this recruiting cycle, you see Texas nabbing a bunch of top 300 players. And more importantly, from what I'm seeing on this, a bunch of top 100 players too. That's got to be pretty impressive. Um, right now, as it sits, Texas is number three in the 2023 recruiting cycle. They are just behind Notre Dame and Ohio State, and they only have 18 commits, right? And the year hasn't even kicked off yet. So I have a very strong feeling by the end of the year, Texas is going to be pushing for that number one spot um, after signing Arch Manning and some of these other players. All right, now here's another interesting note too, and this is going to be, in my opinion, this is going to start really plain effect uh, by the time Arch Manning's a freshman there, right? Certainly by the time he's a sophomore or a true uh, or a redshirt freshman anyways. And Texas also had the best offensive line recruiting class in 2022. Okay, they signed five-star uh, guard Devin Campbell. He was the number one interior offensive lineman in the country last year. He is the number 10 player overall, right? They signed five-star offensive tackle Kelvin Banks who is the number three offensive tackle, number 33 player uh, in the country from last year. They also had four-star uh, guard Nito, I'm gonna try, I'm trying not to mispronounce his name here, Nito Umazalu. Okay, he was the number four uh, guard in the country, number 91 player overall. And then four-star uh, offensive tackle Malik Agbo. Right, he was the number 23 offensive tackle, number 269 player in the country. All right, so to sit, you know, this is the great wall of, of Texas that they are building there in Austin, right? Steve Sarkeesian has done a fantastic job at getting these pieces together for the Longhorns, right? Now, obviously, there's a lot to look forward to as they transition out of the Big 12 and into the SEC. So it's going to be interesting again to see how Steve Sarkeesian kind of handles these pieces and what he ends up doing. You know, they have a really talented roster. Although they were 5 and 7 last year, they do have a talented roster and I do believe that this year as well as next year going forward, you're going to start to see the Longhorns uh, being back, you know, in a lot of different ways. Um, they have to do a better job at protecting their quarterback, obviously. And, you know, with that, you're probably going to see a decrease in the run game. It's, it, that's okay because this year they're, they're kind of breaking in yours. And so they're going to need to lean, in my opinion, they need to lean on, B, you know, players like B. John Robinson uh, and some of these other guys while you have them kind of get yours or Card or whoever else sort of acclimated to the game and then start to kind of open the offense up as the season progresses. Now, we'll kind of get into this right here. I know I said it earlier. Texas and Oklahoma are moving to the SEC. Uh, the deal, you know, they're expected to move probably by 2025. Uh, the reason why the reason why it's going to be 2025 is just because of the TV deals that they've signed and they really have and they end in 2024. So, if they move before then, they're going to have to pay a massive exit fee uh, with a licensing deal behind it and they don't want to do that. So, you know, part of the part of this move was due in large part because of money. I'll give you a great example of this. You know, USC and UCLA decided to move to the Big Ten recently. 
and this is well i mean it's it's about money at the end of the day and the reason why they decided to do that you know a team like usc who's a huge brand in the score in the sport of college football you know their annual revenue from television is probably around 30 million dollars and you compare that to a team like vanderbilt you know in the sec and because of their deal with the sec and the sec network vanderbilt makes about 80 million dollars a year as far as uh you know tv revenue and all that stuff is concerned so there you know there's there's a lot to kind of break down and compare to that but i i think they're doing this so they can make more money which also translate to some other things as well you know especially with nil that's kind of come into uh play over you know in the last year uh you know recruiting facilities all kinds of things like that are going to be bolstered by this right like like I was saying, it's it's about playing these marquee games, and you started and you start to see that more and more. Teams are, you know, you see head coaches talk about this all the time, right? It's not so much with the with the expansion into the playoffs and everything like that. It's not so much about hey, we need to go get through the season unscathed. It's it, it's about hey, we need to make sure that we're playing good competition. We're we need to make sure that we're trying to pick and choose the right uh, marquee matchups. Because that's going to be ultimately the primetime games. That's going to be what recruits are going to look at when they're considering a school. You know, it's not just about, hey, what, what school is going to pay me the most money? There's the other facet now, and I think this is becoming more and more interesting with conference realignment, and that is what is going to happen, you know, what, like, what's going to happen if I come to school here and we don't play anybody? You know, if I come to school... Uh, at Texas or USC or whatever, and we're playing, um, you know, Utah State or Stanford, and it's not the same sort of uh, marquee game that it used to be, right? We're we're playing, you know, if I'm at Texas and we're playing, um, well, for for a good instance here, like Iowa State or TCU or somebody like that, right? It's not the same, it's not the same marquee matchup that it used to be, right? So there's a lot of things to really consider with that, right? Now, kind of getting back into some of the numbers here, you know, as we look ahead to Texas and Oklahoma moving to the SEC, you know, Texas and Oklahoma, they joined the Big 12 in 1996. And it seems, you know, with these conference realignments and these moves that it's very cyclical. You know, it's one of those things where about every 20 or so years, you see sort of a realignment in college football, right? Things change. The sports become more popular. Maybe they figured out uh, more of a niche. You have sort of these top teams that used to be big powerhouses sort of falling out of favor. They're not as good anymore, whatever have you. You have uh, maybe exactly like with this, you know, Alabama and the SEC, you know, taking over and pretty much running college football. I think I saw a stat. 13 of the last 14 national championship games have been won by SEC teams. I mean, that's a it's a mind-boggling stat, right? We're going to kind of cover some stuff in another podcast that we're working on uh, very, very soon that kind of breaks into, you know, in my opinion, what could have potentially saved us from a conference realignment and what could have potentially had, uh, you know, helping results, if you will, as far as the uh, bowl games are concerned, I know that's something that people are like, eh, I don't really care about the Tostitos, uh, Poinsettia Bowl, or <laughs> whatever have you, right? But we'll we'll talk about it in a future episode. 
another great thing about this is they're going to keep the Red River rivalry intact between Texas and Oklahoma. That's going to be a protected rivalry game for both of them. So that'll be pretty awesome. Uh, here's another interesting layer to Texas moving over to the SEC and, and also Oklahoma as well is there's a chance that we could see a restored rivalry with Texas A&M in the mix here. Okay, I think that's that's something that a lot of Texas fans, a lot of Texas A&M fans have really wanted to see for a long time. It used to be an annual game, now not so much. Here's the great part about it, right? Texas looks poised to sign, at least at this point, a top three class, right? The other side to this is A&M is coming off of a number one recruiting class, right? Last year, Steve Sarkeesian signed the number five class in the country. This matchup and these matchups that we're building towards in the SEC by the year 2024, uh, 2025, whenever they actually will play each other, is going to be massive. I mean, it's just going to be an absolute massive uh, experience. You know, we talked about the Red River rivalry, and it seems like the difference here, and I'll kind of break this down, hopefully, for you guys out there listening uh, to, to think about, right? I'm going to give you something to think about. You know, every year when you watch the Red River rivalry, it's always done in the, you know, early in the day, sort of midday kind of thing, right? Well, that's just because of Fox, who runs their network over there in the Big 12. You know, they're coming to the SEC, who does CBS, and CBS, you know, they do a lot more night games. So this is going to be interesting to see. I think, for me, one of the things that I would like to see with with this rivalry and certainly some of these teams, I'd like to see them play later in the day. You know, how awesome would it be to be, you know, come home on a Saturday and watch the game kick off right as the right as the sun's setting in the backdrop of this? I think that would be just an awesome thing to see uh, for Texas and Oklahoma, right? And it would, you know. It's just a neat little a neat little side thing to it, right? Especially if they're both you know competing and it's a marquee game and you've got college game day there. I mean that would just be awesome, right? Now, with that being said, we're going to kind of move into a look back at both these programs through the years and, and sort of their resume up until this point. You know, Texas hasn't competed for a title since 2009. Okay, that was in the that was still in the BCS era of college football, right? So it's interesting to note because they haven't even been to the playoff yet since the playoffs become a new format, right? So Texas needs, right? They need to get relevant and they need to get relevant quickly. Um, now they don't want to be relevant the way Oklahoma has been relevant in past years. They've had a ton of talent, had prolific offenses, numerous, you know, numerous offensive players drafted, um, and the, the problem with Oklahoma over the years has been they've made it to the dance, but they haven't been able to get lucky yet, right? So what I mean by that is Oklahoma has made it to the playoffs four times, okay? They've made it to the playoffs four times. They've lost all four opening games, three of which have been to SEC teams, right? One of which could be a future SEC team in Clemson. So Oklahoma has to get they have to they have to start winning some of these games, right? I mean that's gotta be that's gotta be a a they gotta figure out a way to get over the the, the, the hurdle that is the playoffs for them, right? 
another interesting sort of thing with that is, and, and I, you know, I kind of leave this to you guys. I mean, feel free to, to comment on this or, you know, if you're listening on Apple or whatever, you know, think about this, right? Last year, Texas was five and seven. You know, five and seven in the Big 12 is not, you know, is completely different than being five and seven, in my opinion, in the SEC. You know, when you're playing, you know, Florida, Georgia, Alabama, Texas A&M, uh, you know, those kind of teams as compared to playing uh, TCU, Iowa State, you know, even Baylor, right? I mean, Baylor, in my opinion, you know, you look at it, they would probably, if you put them in the SEC, they'd probably be in the bottom, the bottom half of the conference, arguably. What is a good season? What is a, arguably a, a realistic and a good season going to be qualifying for for Texas, Oklahoma, as they move into the SEC? You know, Brent Venables over in Oklahoma, he's making his head coaching debut for him this year, and he's going to try to build that program. I, I like what he's going to do. He's going to try to build the program like an SEC sort of team, like Nick Saban, or like Kirby Smart did when they took over their teams, respectfully, right? You know, they played really good defense. And they also, you know, they just they just tried to be kind of vanilla on offense, right? I think college football has expanded past that now. And if I mean, you can certainly be a great, you know, you can certainly be a great team, but as you're going to the SEC, you have to be able to score and you have to sort of be prolific on offense. Um, and like I said, we're going to kind of get into a little more about Oklahoma's offense here in just a minute. But it's just going to be interesting to look at my realistic projections you know, for, for where these teams are going to kind of stand. I think for Oklahoma and Texas, a realistic sort of number for them and a target, if you will, is going to be, I, I really want to say it's going to be probably six, seven wins, you know, their first year in the SEC. I think that's going to be what they're going to be aiming for as a, as a sort of middle ground here, right? You know, worst case, you know, hey, they come out and maybe they're four or five wins. I'd say best case, you know, they come out, maybe they get nine or 10 wins, right? And who knows? It could be better. They could go undefeated and win a national championship, right? But let's let's take a, a, another look at some more uh, things here, right? And again, the move to the SEC, it's about money, okay? It's going to be a huge impact as far as recruiting and facilities are going to go since they're going to be able to make more money by playing in more marquee games. You know, I kind of touched on that previously, but I think one of the big things that you're going to see is, again, think of it this way, right? Think of the money and the revenue that Texas, Texas A&M is going to bring in. Texas, Florida, you know, Oklahoma, Georgia. Those are going to, that's going to do wonders for them because, you know, hey, look, it's kind of taboo to say this at this point because, you know, College athletics doesn't want to sort of seem tampered with like the NFL does, and it's not about money. But look, as the NIL has become a thing, it's about money. You know, these kids are going to look for who can, you know, who can pay me what I'm worth, essentially. And, you know, what kind of facilities do I have and what kind of games am I playing in? I think that really is the three biggest things that recruits are going to look for. And the more money that you can make, right? The more money that your program sort of generates by being more relevant and playing in these bigger games, uh, well, the more recruits you're going to get, right? You know, I also think that this is going to help kind of spread it around a little more with the conference realignment. And you're going to start seeing different uh, top recruiting classes than what we've seen in the past, you know, based off this, right? Now, looking ahead to where this season is going to lie at, Oklahoma currently ranks number eight 
okay, in our preseason rankings. And Texas is up to number six in the preseason rankings, all right? Now, Texas, they're going to play Bama in week two this year, all right? The We Want Bama chance are probably starting in Austin already. Let's simmer down. Let's figure out who's going to be our quarterback, and let's let's just hope, right, that they play within themselves come week two, right? We don't want to repeat a last year with Hudson Card and Casey Thompson and trying to play shuffle the quarterback and figuring that out going forward, right? I don't think it's going to end well for Steve Sarkeesian. Okay, now looking at who's going to lead Texas, right? They're going to be led by running back Bijan Robinson. He had north of a hundred, or sorry, he had north of 1,100 yards rushing last year. He also had 15 total touchdowns. Okay, he is a serious Heisman contender if Texas can get rolling early this year. I, I really like what this guy is going to be able to do, and I, and I certainly think he's going to be a future uh, first-round draft pick. At wide receiver, their number one threat's coming back this year. It's going to be wide receiver Xavier Worthy. He had almost 1,000 yards last year. It was 981 receiving, and he had 12 touchdowns last year, okay? Uh, for Texas this year, you know, realistic uh, expectations for these guys. If Robinson can finish the year off with about uh, 20 touchdowns, that'd be pretty good total. And Worthy can sort of bump those numbers up to probably – 17, 18, man, Texas is going to be cooking. They're going to be cooking, folks, okay? <laughs> Oklahoma, they're going to be led by UCF transfer quarterback uh, Dylan Gabriel, where at UCF he didn't play a lot last year. He was hurt and missed almost the entire year. But he did have, in his career at UCF, he did have uh, nearly, actually, sorry, not nearly, he had over 8,000 passing yards last year, and he had almost 80 total touchdowns. I think the real number there is 78. So that's just insane. The kid, I mean, when he's healthy and he's there, you know, he he looks the part. Now, obviously, the question in that is who who have they played, right? And that's a very valid question. Who do you play at UCF? I know, you know, UCF they beat Auburn that year. They were ranked number seven. The year Auburn beat uh, Georgia and they beat Alabama, both of which were teams that went on to play in the national championship game right? I'll be honest with you. You know, Auburn is one of those teams where they could probably be one of the worst teams in the SEC or in college football, but for whatever reason, they're playing the best Alabama team of all time, and they always will show up and make it a game. I, I just think it's the it's a unique rivalry, right? <laughs> so it's kind of hard to kind of gauge that, right? Um, but anyways, yeah, they've got a good one in Dylan Gabriel uh, leading them there, right? Now, the next guy that he's going to be looking to get the ball to is going to be wide receiver Marvin Mims. He had uh, 700 yards last year, and he had five touchdowns, right? Realistically, for Gabriel, I mean, I'm just trying to make it, you know, sort of split the difference. If Gabriel can come out and probably throw for uh, 3,000 yards this year, that'd be pretty solid for him, right? Let's try to get his touchdown somewhere north of probably 30, and he'll have a great year. And Mims, same thing. Let's get him above, you know, probably 1,200 yards receiving and probably north of about 12, 13 uh, touchdowns. That, that would be a fantastic season for Oklahoma, and that would be a great year for uh, Brent Venables to get started as well. All right, guys, with that being said, that's going to conclude this episode of the Flat Rock Sports Podcast. Okay, be sure to like, follow, and subscribe for more daily college football content. As always, I'm your host, Christian Hunt, and we'll catch you next time.